Good morning, church. Are you really doing well? Good. I invite you to open your Bibles and to locate the New Testament book of Titus. Not a strange place for us lately. Find chapter 2, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. This morning's text is found on page 998 in your pew Bibles. This now being the fourth message in a series entitled, Plant Church, Repeat. If you are able, I'll ask you to join me in standing in honor of the giver of Holy Scripture. Hear now God's word. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, you've been so generous to preserve the word for us through millennia. By your spirit now, we have, have had an encounter with what it is that heaven desires for here on earth. Give us what we need now to receive this message, to embody the commands you give us, and to rejoice and be glad always. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Perhaps you will agree with the following generalizations. At age two, our favorite word to say is no. As a teenager seeking favors from parents, our favorite word to hear is yes. And at no time ever, at no age, is our favorite word wait. Test results, traffic, dessert, we just don't like to wait. Do we? Well, you're not going to have to wait very long to hear the most important thing that's going to be said from this pulpit today in this place. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. And if your takeaway from worshiping together here and via streaming with this corporate body, this St. Andrew's Church, if all you take away from today are those four words and you trust them to be true, then you will have feasted at the bounty of God. Jesus Christ is Lord. I hope to elaborate for you. When we began this journey through Paul's letter to Titus, I, I mentioned that despite its being one of the itty-bitty books of Scripture, nevertheless, it also was very meaty. I'll confess, 
During this last week of preparation, there were times when I, I thought I might need a steak knife. It's that deep. There are some of the most impressive terms and powerful concepts in these few verses as you could find anywhere in all of Scripture. Powerful, wonderful words. And we have time for only a few of them. Let's enter into the story and explore, explore the, the mind, the heart, and the will of our Creator as it pertains to living for Christ in the present day. How do we do that? Grace has appeared. Glory is approaching. Grace has appeared and it's bringing salvation and training. Glory is approaching. And that is our great God and Savior, Jesus. First of all, verses 11, 12, and 14. Grace has appeared. When the Lord Jesus came to earth as Bethlehem's baby, he embodied the most generous love and mercy that heaven could afford. God the Father did not spare his own son, but sent him to us in human form to live in community with sinners and yet him having no sin in himself. He dwelt among us. God sent his very best. And when that word became flesh and dwelt among us, we were able, our forebears were able to see and behold his grace and his glory and his truth. And we know that this grace which appeared is the second person of the Trinity because the text goes on to say, qualifying it, saying, bringing salvation for all people. Well, no one else could or ever did do that. Only him. Ever. Just one single person fulfills the scriptural promises and prophecies of First Timothy 2, which says, for there is one God... And there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Hebrews, the opening verses of chapter 1 go on to agree and even expand on this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his word. When grace appeared in the person of Jesus 20 centuries ago, the world which had existed at the time began to be changed forever. Not immediately, but there in Palestine, throughout the Roman Empire, to the ends of the earth. God's plan was set in motion to change everything. And in the fullness of time, the Father shed his unmerited favor upon the creation over which Jesus had been the architect and builder. And at this very moment, the Son of God is superintending every single detail of the universe and the third heaven beyond that. If you wonder what the third heaven might be, I'll offer an opinion. 
I think the first heaven would probably be considered this envelope in which we live, the atmosphere around our earth that provides for us to live at all, to give us the air we breathe and protect us from all the radiation out in another place, the second heaven called outer space. They say it's empty and a void and a vacuum and it's almost limitless, lifeless, it's said. But the third heaven, I think by biblical mandate, that has to be paradise. That's where spirits live. That's where God dwells. It's above and beyond anything that was ever in creation. It pre-existed and will long last after the creation is gone. And that word translated into English a moment ago as radiance is from a Greek word meaning a a shining forth, a, a great cluster of brilliance, the divine glory. Well, that drew my attention the first time I ever read the book of Hebrews uh, many years ago. And today, it continues to give me great confidence in knowing that, that the Christ of God is my Savior, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things. The Savior is mine because I am His. I'll never get over that. And I don't have to. It's said that He has shown forth in utter breathtaking brilliance. And here in verse 11 of our morning's text, the word translated appeared, for the grace of God appeared, can rightly be interpreted blazed. I love that. Blazed. For the grace of God blazed, as if in an otherworldly glow. Well, how appropriate is that? Yes, the grace which appeared was not just an idea or a token of some godly affection that he has towards his creatures. No, no, indeed, it was a person, the person of Jesus, bursting forth in the effulgence, there's a great word, the effulgence of God, that is all the brightness, all the truth, and all the wonder that is contained in heaven was focused through him to the earth a long time ago. And still, thankfully, when that grace appeared, God also showed a generous mercy in the appearing of his son. Because in the, the ultimate act of self-sacrifice, the blazing bright Savior Jesus came, as it says, bringing salvation. He gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Do you sense being held? He did something on purpose to empty himself of himself that he might embrace us. And we freely can come to him. Bringing salvation for all people, the scripture says. Not just Jews, but for us, it says. And a word of caution. Don't allow yourself to go to some place in your thinking that these biblical phrases mean something of a, a universal salvation for all people everywhere in all times. That's not true. Just by being born human doesn't mean that you're going to get eternal life. That is not biblical. But in fact, what is biblical is that Jesus, who lived and died and lives again, is our salvation. But I have to tell you, in the text where the word salvation is shown, it's not actually a noun. It's an adjective. Bringing salvation, it says. 
it's easily understood to mean the effect of salvation. And oh yes, the effect of salvation can be and is being felt in every nation, tribe, tongue, in every era. Yes, that can happen. But yet only by grace and through faith expressed individually does anyone receive the benefits of the risen Redeemer. One-on-one. The grace which appeared did open that covenantal door to, to persons of every race and gender and age in all places of history. Yes, it did. But we come to him one by one. In addition to incarnating love and mercy, Jesus' first advent also allowed humanity to learn by example in watching him live always to honor and to obey his father in everything. And since that very long ago Pentecost when when the Holy Spirit came as if tongues of fire and descended on thousands of those first converts to Christ. Back in that day and since that day, we all have been able to respond to him in grace and faith. And we've been able, actually, to do what the scripture says, to renounce, that's to say no to, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. God's saving grace is training us to turn away from the sinful behaviors mentioned in, in, actually in last week's message that was addressed to the older women and men, the older, uh, the younger women and men, the, the children, the slaves, all the things that were mentioned there as being the things contrary to God's will. All of those are summed up today in this text under just these two headings, ungodliness and worldly passions. Charles Spurgeon who has a million quotes, one of them is, it's hardest to get the wrong out of a young man, not to get the right in. Couldn't that rightly be said of all of us? Isn't it easier to get the right in? We can sit here today and hear it. What do we do when we leave? Well, we can say no. To Satan's temptations. We can. And we can say no to the world's enticements to sin. We, we can. But not in our own strength. Or in our own wisdom. Conversely, we're called simultaneously, quote, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Give that a minute. Self-controlled, upright, godly. What are you thinking of right now? I think you're probably right. Those things that you're thinking right now. I'm not sure you need another tutor. You know that ungodliness and worldly passions go against what God has for us in righteous life. To pursue a life of self-control. Uprightness and godly lives. These are the opposite. And it paints a very, very vivid picture for us to... To see what repentance really is. It is a turning away from sin. Nothing personal over there. Away from sin and towards the Savior. It's another example of the Costanza maneuver. 180 degrees. But it's even better a picture 
of what happens in the martial art of judo. You familiar with judo? You always hear about here karate and all these other ones, taekwondo. Judo, the brilliance of judo is that even the smallest people, when they're set upon by an attacker, all of the force that comes at them, all of the rage and all of the power that comes at them, they are able then to turn it around and, and turn it back onto the offender only with a little extra of their own strength. It is sending it back to where it came from. It takes an offense and turns it into a defense. And it's powerful. And it's purposeful. And it works to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions is to turn away, but also to turn towards stronger. In the realm of the spirit, that is equivalent to saying no and to saying yes. And we're called heartily to pursue all that is good and all that is pleasing to our Father in every situation, in every generation, in our present time. Thirty-some years ago, I had commissioned for me a t-shirt. And uh, I made it on purpose so that people would understand. I had just been studying this text. And I wanted people to understand what this meant in this passage. And so I I had a t-shirt made for me. It was during the time when the uh, Just Say No campaign was in full bloom. And so I I sort of piggybacked on on that uh, slogan. I I will say, I know it's going to be hard for you maybe to see this, but I'll explain it to you. Uh, I'll say that it did get many, many comments from many people back in the day when I would wear this. And I'll show you why. At the front of the shirt, it says this. And no one was surprised to see this. They were seeing it on television commercials, billboards. They were seeing it everywhere. Just say no. And it meant to, to drugs. And there's a little bit of writing on there. On the back, I have another message, and at the bottom, some very tiny wording. And people would come up from behind me and strain to look at what it was. Because here's the back. Just say yes. I don't know if they thought I was an amateur pharmacist or what, but they were coming up asking me, what is that about? What? What do you want me to say yes to? And if you could see it, on the front it says no, and it says Titus 2, 12a. And on the back, it's Titus 2, 12b. Say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That call is still true. And the shirt still fits. (laughs) Actually, it's a little baggy. I was more meaty back in the day, too. Opinions divided about Nancy Reagan's campaign to to turn kids away from drugs by saying, just say no. And many say that it may have raised awareness and deterred some children from pursuing illegal drugs. And vocal critics, however, uh, say that it proved to be pretty ineffective and it might actually have been counterproductive by trying to reduce a very complex issue down to a, a simple catchphrase. I don't think we'll ever really know. But one thing I know for sure, absolutely for sure, that we can say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And every time we do, as followers of Christ, it works. Every single time.
Avoiding the consequences of our own foolish choices seems to be reward enough, actually. But it goes beyond that. By saying yes to upright and godly options in our lives, our, our daily lives, that opens the door to God's blessings, which can only be known by doing that, by only pursuing what he has said, this is the way to me. To say no to the things that hurt, to say yes to the one who heals, that sounds like a good plan to me. So that's no and that's yes. What about wait? Verse 13. Glory is approaching. The Titus in the Hebrew passages spoke of the glory of God. And, and when the Lord first came to earth, he provided just basically a glimpse of paradise's staggering beauty and what amounted to maybe only just a glimmer of its fullness. What if? What if Jesus had come and, and we could see him the way the angels saw him? What if? Well, his second and his final visitation will blow the doors off their heavenly hinges. It will flood the world with Christ's undiluted and indescribable majesty. And amid unrivaled sound and light, the second advent of Jesus will bring immediate and worldwide awe and wonder. Suddenly, with a deafening thunder of celestial trumpets and the, the bright brilliance of a million suns, it will announce the triumphant return of our Lord and King. And Jesus will step out of timeless heaven to return and to conclude all of earth's and mankind's history. In an instant, once, forever, everything will be inexorably transformed by the power and the pleasure of God. And that is the next thing on God's celestial calendar. The very next thing. What's on your calendar? Take out the trash, get fluffy to the vet. What difference will it make when Jesus returns? Well, people, it's going to be real and royal and righteous when he comes back because Jesus is the king who's returning to his kingdom. He will be totally unfiltered in his return. Powerful. What will it look like? How will it be different? He came the first time to save the soul of man. He will come a second time to resurrect the body. He came the first time to a crucifixion. He will come a second time to a coronation. He came the first time to a tree. He will come the second time to a throne. He came the first time and was judged by men. He will come a second time to judge all men. He came the first time and stood before Pilate. You know what's coming. He will come a second time and Pilate will stand before him. He came the first time in humility. He will come the second time in glory. Currently incomprehensible glory. This portrays the blessed hope 
And it's all wrapped up in that holy humanity of Jesus. It's unmistakable. And it's worthy of our patient longings, wouldn't you say? I think so. And as a bonus, this verse 13 gives us a clear and I think a most helpful reference to the divinity of Christ. Yes, really, an actual verse to quote. That the Christ we know uh, is the person, one of the persons of the Trinity is absolutely without question when we read of the approaching glory being, and it quote, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is not in code. That's what it says. Great God, Savior, Jesus. That settles it. You're welcome. Oh, and about not knowing when Christ will make his glorious return to earth, I I offer this very reliable prediction. When Jesus comes back in breathtaking glory and is beheld at the same instant by all peoples all the way around the planet, I assure you it will be between 2 p.m. and 3 p.m. Somewhere. The truth of Christ's appearing and his approaching are what Pastor Titus was commissioned to declare to his generation. And right there on that Aegean island of Crete, members of his congregation, those who were under his care, were the ones who had been saved out of the culture that was portrayed in chapter 1. In fact, the last verse of chapter 1 says they were all unfit for any good work. And then grace appeared. Transformation happened. And the very first verse of chapter 3 says, and now they are ready for every good work. Wait a minute, what? Unfit for any good work and now ready for every good work. That is amazing. Only God. There's no other explanation for that. We have only so much time together this morning and sadly... Much must go unsaid. But here I want to give you a quick memo version regarding some of the concluding verses of chapter 2 in Titus. Because when I'm asked to name a passage in scripture that summarizes and reveals a good deal about biblical doctrine and lifestyle, I I very often am led to say, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, just those five verses, the ones we read today. Because in them, In an abbreviated form, and I'm not going to list all of them. This is what's in this text. God, God's sovereignty, God's revelation, God's revelation of himself, man's sinfulness, man's need of a savior, God's promises, God's promise of forgiveness, God's promise of salvation and securing of it, man's necessary responses of faith and obedience, and the church's authority both to proclaim the gospel and exercise godly discipline. That's in five verses. Wow. I told you it was meaty. Steak knives, anyone? The conclusion of chapter two and the beginning verses of chapter three reveal the substance of Titus's calling to coach the people back then in zeal and in gentleness and in courtesy. That's what they say. 
It just so happens to be that that also summarizes my calling today. Yes, it's true, I have retired from the vocational ministry, but I will never retire from the calling of that ministry to speak truth in love. You know, like to you today and often. I have a little secret for you. It won't be secret after I say it. Psst, that's your calling also. Oh, it's out there. You're accountable. Speak the truth in love all the time. Turn away from ungodliness and worldly passions. Say yes to a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. Open the door, the covenantal door of grace for you because grace has appeared and glory is approaching and we're a part of it today. And when you and I speak truth in love without fear and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that is how the church of Jesus continues to be planted and replanted every week by our works and our words empowered by God. No. Yes. Wait. And may I add, rejoice. Oh, people, rejoice. If all you have in this life is Christ, then you have more than this world can contain. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is Lord. Can you say that he is Lord of your life? Let's pray. Hallelujah, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We acknowledge you to be who you have revealed yourself to be in power and in great brilliance. Thank you for your promises and for the fulfilling of every single one. Thank you that the grace appeared in the person of Jesus. And thank you that the glory is soon to approach again here. What our needs of this moment, what our needs are of the coming days are the same as always. We need simply to admit the fact that we're sinners and confess the fact that we can't save ourselves and never could and can't save anyone else either. Just because Jesus lived and died and lives again does not mean my ticket is punched for a heaven for eternity. It simply means that God is calling out to my heart and to yours if you're hearing this to surrender something that you've held on to tenaciously, to render the surrender the control of your life to one who's stronger and wiser, one who actually can save. And so confess your sin. Ask for forgiveness. Receive the gift of eternal life, even right now. Oh, Father, forgive me, a sinner. It is finished, he says. Thank you. Thank you. May we all be able now to rejoice and to rest and to wait with great expectation of the glory to be revealed among us because of Jesus. Amen.